Welcome to A Word On Plays. I'm Amy Gang, your host, and I'm here with Randy Decker, um, actor, yeah, person. Uh, we're here to talk about Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, which I thought was kind of strange because most people don't adapt their own books into plays. Well, you know, you've got Douglas Adams. Yeah, there's that. I you mean, know. he adapted his radio play into a book. Well, yeah, well, and then, and then somebody else adapted his his book into a stage play. Yes. And it was supposed to have been terrible. It, I, <laughs> I haven't read it, but I've, I've heard that. But then he was involved with the TV series. Oh, fair. Okay. Yeah. And then he actually, for the movie that came out, granted he died before it came out, but mm-hmm. he was actually involved with the screenwriting process. So oh. it, it is with precedent. But the play for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was somebody else. Yes. Yes. Ken... Yes. Why do I never remember this guy's name? Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> that is a good Way point. off topic. <laughs> um, I mean, Marin is going to come up and be like, actually, Amy, because she definitely knows. <laughs> so, uh, this, please give us a synopsis for anybody who didn't have to read this in, in 12th grade or 11th okay. grade. I don't know. All right. Basically, the, uh, the main character of the story is uh, Montag, or Montag, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, and he is a... They don't really come with an age in the stage show, uh, and I can't remember in the book too well if they age him at all, but uh, basically he is a, uh, a youngish, probably 20 to 30-something fireman in a dystopian society of America, we believe. Uh, and unlike how we know firemen to be, they burn books. Right. His, uh, his boss, and you get whiffs of his boss maybe being a bit more of a reader of books you should not be reading. Whiffs. Yeah, whiffs. He quotes, he quotes. Oh, yes. Heavily. Books that he specifically states later in the thing that he never reads. Mm-hmm. Still quotes them heavily. Uh, and that man is Beatty. And he has a very loveless marriage to Mildred. Yeah. And he seems to have a, a weird, I don't want to say weird, almost like a, uh, I think she has more of a crush on him as he leads up to it, but a neighbor girl named uh, Clarissa. Yeah, uh, is Clarice, she supposed Clarice. to be younger? Because I feel like she felt very young, but maybe that was just like I her manic, manic pixie dream girl think, kind of motif. Yeah, I think more the manic pixie girl, <laughs> dream girl thing, because when does that not pop up in sci-fi? Right. Born sexy yesterday kind of a... I know, probably but short she's not, hair. She, no, she's super smart. Um, kind of odd. Yeah. Smells yeah. dandelions. Somehow magically knows to ask him questions that are both personal and mind opening. And vague. Yes. Vague. Very yeah. vague. <laughs> are you happy? Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Question mark? <laughs> and suddenly his world explodes as he learns to come out of his shell with society. So so we and, have Guy and Beatty and Mildred and Clarice. Yes. Um, two of the all of like five women in this play, seven I think technically. Yeah, although they barely say a word, most of them. Yeah, it's they, mostly, there's not really. Yeah, no, I mean, well, they and you could say that uh, Clarice, aside from me, the and she she definitely fits that manic pixie dream girl mm-hmm. aspect of the story. All of the other women involved are basically. Uh, Stereotypes. Yeah. Oh, well, d- and dumb and yes. need to be saved. And it's They're too so... dumb to know it, not wanting yeah. to be saved. I mean, they're all sitting there. The one scene when you actually have 
more than just his wife, Mildred, there, and mm-hmm. she has her two friends over. They're basically watching TV. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. And it's... it's. And then they get huffy and mad when he reads them poetry, those heathens. Because it, it makes them cry. Mm-hmm. Which... Now it's <laughs> like, man, he's done it now. Uh, anyway, so let's go. Let's move on with the plot. Uh, we're talking the firefighters, they burn books instead yes. of... Yes, yes. Right. Because everything's fireproof. Yes. All, all homes now are fireproof, so they can't burn. Well, most homes. They say not all. They do. Yeah. They make point of saying most homes are fireproof, probably because they get very used to burning things and uh, the occasional people, <laughs> which they do. They burn. Yeah. A, well, she a burns lady. herself. She burns herself. Fair. She says so far, which actually straight up raises a question to me later in there, where they mm-hmm. she set herself on fire. Right. They were trying to stop her from burning herself up, but then they have a robot dog that yeah. they build that. I think kills people. I think so too. Like I, so, it's vague. It's kind yeah. of like it's got an injectable thing. Yeah, goes straight for the heart. So I'm, I'm just kind of like, wait. So first they're not trying to kill people, and now suddenly they just, are trying to kill people. They make this mm-hmm. robot dog that apparently kills people, and it's okay. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. So, so they they burn this la- or this lady burns herself, but before that, and she's got all these books. Oh yeah, she's got a vast mm-hmm. library and. They actually, she goes to give them one of the books, mm-hmm. and his boss, Beatty, actually tells Guy, Bontag, to take it, take it, take it. Uh, I'm guessing, it's very vague in the context, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm guessing where it seems almost like he's either trying to get him to take it, because yeah. he'll just burn it later and make it easier, or he's slowly pushing him into being a reader. Hmm. Can't quite tell, especially how it how it ends. Yeah, because it's it's a bit odd in that. It, in that regard. He, he's got a weird character. Um, Which one, Beatty? Beatty, he's so yeah. strange. Like, oh yeah. What are his motivations? Always asking what his motivations are. Well, that yeah, you know, one minute um, he's being a complete jerk, mm-hmm. and like being being arrogant, rude, ta- you know, and just really beating him down, like, oh, you're mm-hmm. an idiot. But he's quoting books left and right. Right. Acting like he's really smart. Talking about how, oh, there was a time before when he was really into books and avid reader or something. Mm-hmm. Now he has a, spoiler warning, a vast <laughs> library of his own that he specifically states are unread. Mm-hmm. And that's where the crime comes in. As long as he does not read them, they're unread. <laughs> so he can't, he's not committing a crime it's ridiculous. in that aspect. Uh, but, but I... No, no, I, I can definitely see with the, the, especially the monologues, where it'd be a uh, someone who really enjoys chewing scenery would love yeah. those dialogues because he's just throwing out just, uh, well, there's like one that runs on as he lists off like 10 different groups that yeah. are doing something like this group and this group and this group and this group. I'm like, okay, well, that's a, that's a run on. <laughs> yeah, you, you could have said this like half of this mountain, but. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a talker. Mm. And anyway, uh, Montag gets a book. Yes. And that kind of starts things. Yeah, he, uh, he kind of starts eventually, like, I think one night after his wife goes, because he comes home mm-hmm. that day and his wife is comatose in front of the TV. She's right. passed out. He calls the doctors in there. The paramedics show mm-hmm. up. They set her right and she sleeps it off, doesn't remember anything. Right. Next night, she's going to bed sleeping, and he goes out and starts reading aloud from the book. 
Yeah. Yeah. I so Mildred Mildred specifically is like this weird echo of a lot of sci-fi that I read or have read, okay. especially specifically from like that kind of era. Um and like very specifically, she's a lot Have you ever re- read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, no, actually. Uh so everybody everybody's I... seen Blade Runner and yes. it's such a horrible movie. I hate that movie so much. <laughs> It takes all of the interesting parts out like of the it. book, and and the movie is just trash. Anyway, <laughs> he he has a wife in the book, and it is exactly the same thing. She's just drugging herself mm. so that she doesn't have to feel anything, or they literally they have drugs that make you feel specific emotions. Yeah. Um, and she's kind of fighting it, but she does overdose and kill herself in that book too. Although Mil- Mildred's. Well, Mildred's a, trying to kill herself. I don't think she ever does. I don't even. I don't get so much that she's trying to kill herself. I think she's just so numb uh, that she doesn't think anymore. Mm-hmm. Which it's kind of funny thinking about that and the other character. What what is it with that era where it's just like you have the spouse is like this almost placeholder for all the unhappiness, and then mm-hmm. they magically go away, <laughs> so the main character can become, can become happy. Why? I don't know. She turns him in though. So he yeah. he gets he starts collecting books. And then he meets the neighbor who is Clarice's grandfather. Yes. Yeah, well he seeks him out. Because mm-hmm. Clarice told him to find him if, you know, anything happens, told him where to go. So he contacts him, mm-hmm. goes there and meets up with him and he ba- basically asks him to teach him all right. this stuff. And First, the guy's saying no, and then the guy gives him apparently like a earphone yeah. earpiece. Uh, totally like dates this, this yes. piece because oh, yeah. they're calling it a, uh, an ear radio, but it's like a Bluetooth telephone type yeah. thing. Very, yeah. very high tech for the era. <laughs> but uh, he gives them that so they can converse like Roxanne style. Roxanne style? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a little, little Cyrano de Bergerac action going on, which literally <laughs> happens later on. When he goes back to the fire station afterwards. Right. And suddenly he starts having a quote off with Beatty. So. Yeah. Just here. Give me quotes in my ear so I look smart. Why do you want to try and look smart against the people who are trained to sniff out people who are smart and Yeah. <laughs> Why are you quoting books to the people who are supposed to. Yeah. Get, yeah. It, that was a dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And they're sp- he's supposed to, like, be getting a rise out of people, but it's just, yeah, it was a really, like, weird... Yeah, almost a little, uh, it, it kind of felt, uh, that scene especially, in some mm-hmm. of the things they tried doing, a bit of the, uh... That's okay. Can... Atlas Shrugged. That almost sort of, like, preachiness to you, like, okay. I'm saying these great things, and now you're supposed to feel them. Like, Atlas Shrugged meets uh, Scientology. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so at, at least that's the way it kind of feels to me. Like, I'm being smart. You people are dumb for not. Why don't you understand the smart things I am saying and mm. coming into me? Like, especially the poetry scene when he comes home at one point mm-hmm. and starts uh, his wife and her two friends are there. And they're now they're. It's, it's kind of funny because some of the stuff on here is a little prophetic. Mm-hmm. You have the three women at home watching a show that is a cross of reality TV Mm-hmm. meets video games. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, that, that, there's a number of things in here that are kind of prophetic mm-hmm. in a way. I know I, I know a lot of people like um, 
have said that it is very uh, what's what's that word? Relevant. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I keep hearing very that. relevant. That's the, that's the thing that I keep hearing about this book. Every it, time somebody talks about it, they're like, "It's just so relevant." You yeah, know, it's but, weird how relevant it is. And I, uh, but I think they I don't get know, it I smile wrong. And nod. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think they get it wrong. I, I think there is some relevance to it. I think mm-hmm. it's wrong in the context which they think it is. Like uh, okay, like the the bit how Bradbury doesn't think of this as a book on or a story on censorship right he, he told these students yeah you saw you saw this video he's telling these students that it's not a book about censorship yeah and they got an argument back and forth and lots right. of lots of people think it's about censorship when his story is mostly about television making people stupid and mm-hmm. turning away from books and you see a lot of it there i mean there's even a passage in there where you have uh Beatty, mm-hmm. who again being being that odd character going back and forth i think it's page 53 or 54 of the play script. Yeah, it it, it, it hit me. And he starts lifting, um, and he starts listing off uh, different groups that had problems with uh, books. Mm -hmm. And uh, like going off like, and it's all these, in the context of the book, he's calling them minorities. So you have the Irish didn't like this book. Yeah. The such and such group didn't like this book. Burn it. And it's like going on through there, and it's like you can kind of see some relevance today in that that's not government censorship. That's kind of the populace going, we don't like this. We, we don't like Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Get rid of it. Oh, we don't, we don't like, like, I would never read Mein Kampf. Fair. Yeah. Okay. But I don't exactly think we should just burn it and get rid of it. It is a, right. if someone's so interested, whatever. It's a piece of our history. Yeah. I, so... But it, it's kind of that context of the groups calling for the kind of like now we have different social groups. And I guess, you know, uh, a little bit of you, you're just like politics. There's social justice. Mm-hmm. And you always have those different groups here and there that might be a little too far in one direction. They're kind of like, burn everything that I disagree with. My thought, my thoughts on this are. Um, like I read this book and I hear people say like it's so relevant, especially nowadays. It really hits home. Um, and I just, you know, I, I kind of disagree. Okay. okay. <laughs> I sincerely disagree with that because I feel like, first of all, it this is like such a cynical. Oh yes. Way of oh, viewing yes. everything, and per- personally, like I hear. You know, like, you hear about, like, TV is rotting your brain, and then, you know, like, children won't go outside, and then it's video games are rotting your brain. People said that about books. Yes. I mean, it's not something that is new, or personally, like, I don't think it's something that's necessarily true, you know? Like, of course, if all you do is sit at home and watch television that makes you, and it doesn't make you think, you know, like, you're... You're watching Friends over and over and over again. Like, of course, you're you're gonna lose all of the information that you've you know that you've worked so hard to learn. <laughs> but uh, it's never true that ideas and and intellect are totally lost because there is always innovation in the new art form, and it's not the specific art form that we need to condemn it's and i don't even want to condemn vacuous you know consumption i just want to say like mindful consumption of art or or story is is always 
something we need to preach. Not like don't watch TV or like, you know, stop running around doing drugs and not watching TV and turning your, your eyes away from things. Yeah, sit comfortably while you're doing the drugs. It's way easier <laughs> to do them. I, just, I found. I just I and it, and and of course, like when we talk about how we self-censor, um I, I think that that argument goes two very different ways. So we, we talk about like, no, we can't, we, you know, we have to burn, we don't want to burn books. I don't yeah, want to burn books. No. I've never, you know, I like books. I smell them. Um, they smell really nice. <laughs> but uh, I feel like I'm going on a, like a, Oh no, no, no. I have I, a diatribe here. <laughs> I, I agree. Cause it's, I think it's one of those things that's kind of important with the story mm-hmm. is the con the, the context of what's happening in the story kind of helps, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to try and stage a show or put on a show. Right. Helps to frame it in a way that you can properly convey what's happening in the story. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of the things where I completely agree. It's, la- it's not so much that TV is the bad guy or something like that right. in the context, but it's how they're doing it. Where if you go in the context here, it is a, it, I completely agree. It is a very cynical view of the darkest timeline to quote community. Well, and, and people in general and like how – you know, I feel like Ray Bradbury is like, look at all these sheep just following well, you, people. I don't know. You you get that a lot with Beatty's. I think mm-hmm. Beatty is Bradbury's internal monologue. Just okay. just knowing his view. Because especially if you look at uh, some litter patch like the one mm-hmm. I had mentioned, there's a lot of them, especially when he's going on in these things. He goes over an entire history of how things changed mm-hmm. in their society. How first books, when they were first created, is like, it was just one book for certain groups and no, but not everyone had right. copies. And now once you start mass producing, it's almost like he starts going like, then you start mass producing books, books. I've, books. Gone, I've gone Canadian, <laughs> but uh, starts mass producing, uh, mass producing books. Uh-huh. And suddenly now we have to dumb them down. So they fit everyone. And he kind of keeps yeah. going on that thing, especially into the uh, other forms of thing. Like, I mean, the, 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 TV they watch, mm-hmm. they all have their wall TVs, and they give them a lot of ch- almost choose your own adventure right. stories. Like very vague, yeah, almost like cues. the uh, the Google or no the the Siri game mm. where you can sit there and like Siri, I do this. Like I don't know if you're aware of this, but I didn't know this. There are choose your own adventures on Siri. Oh, that's weird. Where you're you're literally talking to your little box mm-hmm. and going like I do this, and then it will change the thing. So it's kind of similar to that. Which that's the part that mm-hmm. it's stuff like that that made me kind of going like this is strangely prophetic. Fair, yeah. But I mean, it, is it prophetic because it's stuff that's happening now, or is it one of those things where it's society's always been kind of like this? Yeah. And it just kind of comes back around and we're always we're always chasing our own tail around the tree going like this is wrong. We're all so <laughs> stupid. Oh crap. It's always been this. We're it's, always been I stupid. feel like yeah, I feel like it's the same with when we talk about like millennials these days. Mm. We're kind of jumping into this trap That's... of like that generation is doing things I don't really talk about no, no older generation has ever blamed the younger generation <laughs> for the problems of society. Um, Never happened. I mean, let's talk about the, the line about minorities ruining things again, because I feel like uh, I feel like when when we want to censor things, we, we discuss like no censorship whatsoever. It's not really a thing that we do like at all. Like we, we censor a little bit here and there um, as a society. You know, we, we're, we're kind of like, okay, you're too young to understand this. Let's move on no. forward. And But, like, but listen, um, I don't want to erase the history books or 
or the propaganda even. I, I just think that there's a lot of people, a lot of books that need context. Oh, yeah. And I also think that there is a something to be said for being sensitive and thoughtful towards my, the minorities, you no, know. No, completely agree, completely um, agree. And understanding of their history and, and perspective. And I think that we need to be careful when we're reading things like Mein Kampf. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think of it kind of like, and again, like that book, I've right. never read it, never going to read it, no interest because that's not my, Fair. my I'm, I'm very much a uh, centrist liberal sort of person. <laughs> I, I look at it kind of like children's media. You okay. go back, say, 20, 30 years. Muppets. Mm-hmm. Muppets, Looney Tunes, uh, even even Disney. They okay. Had, they had smoking. Mm-hmm. You can't have that. They have edited out the smoking. smoking. From the- <laughs> There's a uh, Pecos Bill cartoon mm-hmm. that I believe it was. Yeah, it was Disney. Mm-hmm. And he's bouncing around. There's a bit where he pulls out a cigarette, packs his own cigarette, licks it, shuts it, starts smoking it. Mm-hmm. They have edited that out <laughs> of new, of uh, anytime they're re-airing now in like mm-hmm. the last... 10, 15, 20 years, they've edited that out. Okay. So it's I, 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 it's not so much that I definitely agree. There's, I, I think it's bad because I uh, – let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. I think it's not helpful and much more uh, insultive when you sit there and you – Insultive. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. Insulting. Yeah. Insulting. Yeah. In, insulting. It's much more insulting when you – basically dumb something down mm-hmm. because you don't think your audience can handle it much like much like the children's like uh take gremlins okay gremlins is the reason we have pg-13 mm-hmm. gremlins was pg when it came out there was no pg-13 rating mm-hmm. it was considered people were apparently angry and upset that it was so scary okay that that's that sort of thing we're now you watch a uh, kid, horror kids movie now. Mm-hmm. Goosebumps is that anywhere near as sl- any terrifying I was as Gremlins? Terrified of Goosebumps? Okay, I was when I was a little kid. I'm scared I mean of now. everything. I mean the movie mm-hmm. now. Oh, I didn't watch the movie. Hey, it's it's okay. It's I don't know. I don't it's not know. Scary. I I mean I don't know what the answer to it is. It's a I mean it's a constant debate. So I don't want to. Well, I, I think there. I I think the danger is not so much that there is the the want to. It's not so much about being sensitive mm-hmm. people, but portraying people in a real light. Okay. Like uh, I like a quote from George. R- I like a quote from George R. R. Martin. Mm-hmm. He was asked once about why he why his women characters in Game of Thrones are always so good and so real. And he's like, because I write them as people. Right. So instead of trying to say jump on a bandwagon and be like, we're going to push this person up there and we're going to make them feel special. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to we're gonna sit there and we're going to color code this so it's, in our view, mm-hmm. it is now acceptable for them. Just treat people as people and you're probably going to have much better okay. stories and writing. And I mean, uh, take Alien. Okay. The character Ripley was mm-hmm. written as a man. Okay. They didn't change right. anything about the writing to suit Sigourney Weaver stepping in, mm-hmm. they literally just went there because in the end, as far as the story goes, it's just a character name. Right. That, that was I a just, long diatribe, but. I don't, no, I, and I don't think that there that this, I, I look at Fahrenheit 451 and I don't think that there's a risk of that happening. No, no, no. I mean, it's a very like hyperbolic and a very kind of, and, and, and then, like I said, it's a cynical view of. Oh, of, yeah. of, of our present and of people in general. 
I just, it, it bothers me. Yeah, we really did go far off. Yeah, we, we went way yeah, far. We went. <laughs> I was like, oh, we, wow. took, we, we took the wrong turn at Albuquerque. Um, so, yeah, no, but uh, we, we've been talking about the, the plot and the characters a little bit. I guess we didn't really finish the plot, though. No, no. Uh, well, you know, he uh, he's reading the books. Mm-hmm. Goes goes through it, but then he goes back and with the... With the uh, Clarice's grandfather in his ear, gets mm-hmm. in that debate with Beatty, trying Such to one up him. Weird debate. Yeah, it mm-hmm. comes out of nowhere. Like he's trying to learn this, and I don't really know if maybe it, the the play doesn't do a good job of showcasing him learning anything from Beatty, mm-hmm. because it becomes very much a Cyrano de Bergerac. You moment. mean from Faber? He's not yes. learning anything from the things that he's yes. listening. I don't know if. Well, the, I don't I think, think they that had that, any time to teach. Right. I think that that was the point, though. Is yeah. like when give me things smart to say in my ear. Right, you're you're just regurgitating the yeah. words. You're not really. And then of course he uh, he he gets found out, mm-hmm. and Beatty gets on gets on the earphone there, and uh, <laughs> apparently scares poor Faber into dying of a heart attack. No. So uh, that's that's dead body number two. No, actually, no, that makes that's a uh, that's a wait three three body count so for the, the play fir- so far. The first woman. First woman. Mrs. Hudson. Then there's a guy that is uh, killed by the robot dog, Baskerville I 9. I didn't remember that. Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, he's hearing the news report mm-hmm. of the of Baskerville 9, as they call it. Which is a literary reference. What yeah, mean? yeah. Well, they even make a point in the script of going mm-hmm. like, isn't that from a book? No. Did you read it? No. Then it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But uh, you have that, and then you have... Uh, Oh god, I think there's like four deaths in this play. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's uh there's Well, and then Beatty six six the hound on him. Yeah, six himself. six the hound on himself. But then the hound also goes after someone because uh Guy Montag has gotten away. They now have someone else mm-hmm. they have identified and say is him so the dog can kill them. Yeah. I claim no, he's dead. That's he did not escape I read, at all. So I read the I read the book a long time ago. And I was like, okay, that's a book. I, I'm good. I'm done done reading that book. <laughs> it had pages. I'm okay. It, I, I liked it. Uh, I really, we could talk about this too. I really like the prose in the story. And mm. I feel like that made me a little more sympathetic to the story. Whereas the, the play is like all dialogue and it really turned me off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he had issues with trying to, uh, with trying to, shorten his story into a play format yeah because he it, it's funny because you even kind of go over what they are saying in the in the play mm-hmm. he've had I, that's why i really think Beatty is uh bradbury's mouthpiece mm-hmm. because he says a lot of things and it's just like okay this is because it goes back and forth and one of the things he talks about is with books you could take your time mm-hmm. you could learn and you're thinking. Yeah, you can think. They've outlawed buttons yeah. because you think while you button your shirt. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute. This is this is you talking, isn't it, Ray? <laughs> Whenever I get distracted when I button my shirt, by the way, my shirt gets buttoned wrong. So I don't know <laughs> what Ray Bradbury. Just just wear t-shirts. Go. That's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> Steve Jobs was a smart, smart person. But anyway, uh, and th- so the ending is Guy Montag gets away and finds a little. Yes. He finds a conclave of people who have. Forsaken their identities and now have memorized books. 
Yeah. To recite them orally to other people to keep the story of the books and their prose and all of that wonderful stuff alive. And Clarice is there learning the yes. uh, Robert Louis Stevenson book. Thought she had died. Mm-hmm. There was rumors that she was either hit by a car in a hospital or something like that. Yeah. Even her even her grandfather didn't know. But come on, nobody actually thought that she was dead. No, nobody no. in the audience is sitting there like, yeah, she died. Well, you, you go by the old <laughs> thing: no body, no crime. There you go. So anyway, um, she's learning a Robert Louis Stevenson book and like covering up this dying man as he like. <laughs> yeah, it's a. And then the so whole like the last five minutes of the play are people just quoting from books. Well, that's too. Uh, that's too. Okay. It's to show that they are now the books. They are right. carrying on the oral tradition. They're really he's really hammering it home. Yes. Yeah, he's he mm-hmm. his story is very on the nose. <laughs> it's like right there. It's like yeah, when you when you say something is on the nose, this is like mm-hmm. a giant pimple on the tip of the nose. Yeah. Is how on the nose this is. Have you read any other Ray Bradbury? I mean, I feel like we've it's, talked a little it's bit. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, I, I, I've I told people this. I really love Martian Chronicles. It's one of my favorite books ever. Which, by the way, uh, Ray Bradbury totally used the first line from Martian Chronicles as, like, one of the classics, like, first lines. And I was like, excuse me, Ray Bradbury. <laughs> what? This is Somebody's a little full of themselves. I mean, it, it, is, his, it is his play, so he can do but, it. Uh, but, he, you know, he, the Martian Chronicles was wonderful. I loved it a lot. Um, I really like some of his short stories. I loved The Velt, you know. Uh, the first half of Illustrated Man was fabulous. <laughs> um, and I love Something Wicked This Way Comes. So those are off the table when I'm insulting Ray Bradbury. Um, Everything tot- else, though, totally. I'm totally going to insult Ray Bradbury. Uh, but he writes a lot of really weird... Um, he has a whole short story where Mars is just a repository for forgotten literary characters. Yeah, it's really not a good short story. It's Interesting. so I mean, R is for Rocket is like one. all of this. It's like some weird cross of John Carter of Mars uh, and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, it's he's just like he does a lot of this like using literature and like creating like literature and making it real and like I I feel like there's a lot of like I know I know all of the classics guys. You know, like I've hey, read I things. uh Yeah, I can so quote from So you're saying he's Kronk from I remember his new group going like uh Kiss Kiss, I uh I read things. Yeah. I don't know I mean I think that maybe Ray Bradbury I, I've never met Ray Bradbury. <laughs> he's dead now. I <laughs> I, my, I had a teacher once who said that she met him and he kissed her. Um, she was much younger than he was. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> did, did he ask? Uh, <laughs> Consent. She, Consent was, she was fangirling. I think that that was a... But, so, uh, Ray Bradbury is not, like, he's prolific, but... You know, his classics are his classics. For, and you don't know the other ones for a very good reason. Well, you know, everyone's hit or miss. When, they, he, write, when they write enough things, right. they can't all be winners. Right, right. You, and he's so, and he's a novelist, mostly. Novels and short stories. But he started writing for television. Mm-hmm. Like, 
in which, the 60s. Which, hey, Ray Bradbury. Uh, <laughs> which does raise it. It's, it's an interesting endeavor to see his version a, of something what wicked. What a hypocrite, dude. I'm sorry. Uh, no, sorry. Oh, no, no. Did you, did you ever see his version of something Mm-mm, wicked? I didn't. So it was a, uh, I think he made it into a TV episode of Ray Bradbury mm-hmm. Presents. Mm-hmm. But it was his version because I don't think he was quite happy with the film version, which personally I love the film Fair. version. Yeah, okay. But he did he like, he did his own version for Ray Bradbury presents, mm-hmm. and no, eh, oh, interesting. Eh. Okay, I don't know it. Uh, yeah, Ray Bradbury talks a lot about his childhood. He like he went to a carnival and asked a magician if he could show him a trick, and that was kind of his like entry entree into like storytelling and. It was magic. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. At a carnival. And like that kind of w- was where something wicked came from. Makes me curious what Stephen King's was. Yeah, right? <laughs> How did you get to carry Stephen yeah. King? What happened here? <laughs> Why do you have a dog killing so many people? What's up with that? But uh, anyway, Ray Bradbury, hypocrite, uh, raging against the television and then goes to, to work for TV. Um, he wrote for TV for a long time. He and was then trying he, like, to make it smarter. He was trying to fight for us. He <laughs> not against, us. I'm not against Ray Bradbury Presents or the Twilight Zone episodes that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a smart man. He did a good job. Uh, but now he's writing plays. And a Plus. lot of his plays are him just adapting his books well, into plays. Um, he does have some that are plays that, uh, on their own. But yeah. But then if he was still around, he'd probably adapt those into books. So Yeah, there you go. Uh, he might have. He might have adapted all of those plays into short stories. You just never know. I, I mean, there's so much Ray Bradbury out there. See, he's told everything he has to tell. Now he's just got to tell it in different versions. Mm. I, that's, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Uh, I suppose it can depend. I mean, it, it, it comes down to how many times do you want different versions of the same story. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, what are you trying to say that you didn't say in the book that you're now saying yeah. in the play? Are you just trying to reach a different audience that would go see it? Because I'm pretty sure a book reading audience and a mm-hmm. live theater audience are going to be very intermingly. Yeah, there you go. They're, they all listen to NPR. They're, mm-hmm. all <laughs> they're all carrying their tote bags to the farmer's market. <laughs> um <laughs> I gotta get cheap asparagus. <laughs> I like cheap asparagus. That's like my whole. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I feel very attacked right now. <laughs> um. What? Uh. Anyway. <laughs> so crunchy. Ray Bradbury. Uh. I will. So. I I read his book and I and now I've read this play, and I want to know how you felt about. The play and the the writing of the play and and as a as an artist who reads yeah. a lot of plays, uh, I mean the dialogue is the mm. dialogue could be fun for some of the scenes. There's a uh, it, it reminds me especially the uh, the scenes between him and his wife and especially the scene between him and his wife and her friends while they're watching the show. Mm-hmm. Very much uh, not a fan of those scenes. Interesting. Okay. Mostly because it's kind of like there was a, a musical I saw. that was an older musical. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. But I, I saw it was presented uh, locally a year or so ago. Or last year, yeah. And 
it had very much had that uh, that old timey fifties mentality towards women, Yee! where it kind of makes me feel kind of like, oh, so we're just presenting women as the uh, dumb people, right? Yeah. yeah, the way that this play treats women is not no exciting, no, I or mean, interesting at all. <laughs> but then, I mean, I guess you could say it's fair that they treat all of them like that. But there is the, as very much that they all have to obey the men. Yeah. The men issue the order. They have to stay because they're the firemen. Mm-hmm. So you got to listen to them. So it's like, okay, so. But now you're dumb for, for yeah. obeying this order. Yeah. So I'm like, wait a minute. Is I'm, I'm confused on what Bradbury was trying to say with that context. Is that what's going to happen? But I'm, I'm getting back on the premise of the plot there. But it's just like that. I don't know. It, it makes me slightly meh on the comfort level of it just because I'm bored. <laughs> With yeah. The idea of- well, yeah. The women are boring, and they're being. Yeah. Like, but I feel like I found that in a lot of scenes where not just the women, but people, the characters get really boring, and they get preached to, and oh, yeah. it changes like which characters. Sometimes, like Montag is is preaching. Sometimes Beatty's preaching. But if, if it's mostly just the two of them. Yeah. If somebody's preaching, the other character shuts up. Yes. Which I feel like maybe is something that it's hard to transition from novels to plays and not do that. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. I feel like when you're ta- telling a story from one point of view um, and you get into that habit of telling the story from one point of view, uh, going into a playwriting position uh, can be difficult. You know, like you you're really need to adjust to like create a scene where everybody is well, that, moving in and out. And- it's kind of like the thing. Is, I, I think this has some great monologues in it. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily do I think they're the most well-written monologues, mm-hmm. but they're definitely the scene-chewing actor favorite kind of monologues oh, where gosh. you have like 10,000 words and you can walk around <laughs> and just expouse things. Yeah. Let's see if I could I can find one here. Oh, my. Uh Prime example of one of the monologues that maybe isn't the best, most well-written, but would be fantastic for an actor who just wants to spend like 10 hours mm-hmm. reciting prose. <laughs> the usual, the same. The love that didn't quite settle. The work that wasn't quite right. The dream that went sour. The sex that fell apart. Deaths that came swiftly to friends not deserving. The murder of someone or another. The insanity of someone close. The lone, the long dying of a mother. The short suicide of a father. A stampede of elephants. An onslaught of disease. And nowhere, nowhere, the right book for the right time to stuff in the crumbling wall of the breaking dam to hold back the deluge. Give or take a metaphor, lose or find a simile, and by the far edge of 30 and the near rim of 31, I picked myself up, every bone broken, every centimeter of flesh abraded, bruised, and scarfed, sorry, scarified, looked in the mirror, Found an old man lost um, behind the frightened young man's face. Saw hatred there for everything and anything. You name it, I damn it. And that goes on. Yeah. Well, and people interject, but he's he doesn't really react to them so no. much as he like talks over them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 less like a it's less enjoyable back and forth mm-hmm. actor conversations. Right. And almost more of a, I'm going to stand here and talk. It's like that annoying conversation you have with someone mm-hmm. who is, uh, I believe the term is mansplaining <laughs> these days, 
where they're doing that. So there's a These whole days, lot of mansplaining. I love this word because it describes something that I've experienced so often. Really? Yeah. I can't. I cannot believe that a woman has experienced mansplaining. I don't understand that. But um, that's that's like mm-hmm. him and Guy do that a lot. Mm-hmm. And whereas, yeah, if you're reading the prose and you're you're the person with those lines to say, you can chew the scenery. You can have some fun with it. Right. But from a, uh, I don't know, from a audience standpoint, I don't necessarily. Mildred is screwed in that scene. Oh, she God, just yes. has to sit there. <laughs> and do what she's told. Try not to think. I had a, when I was in Shakespeare camp, one time at Shakespeare camp. Uh, <laughs> Ed, I, where did you put the flugelhorn? <laughs> don't ask. Oh, God. We were talking, though, uh, and somebody was like, I play a guard in the scene, and I swear I have to stand there and try not to think about the Oreo milkshake that I'm going to get on the way home, because <laughs> then everybody can tell that I'm definitely not thinking about the scene and not engaged. You're and supposed so, to be like, angry. You, gotta have, you have to try not to think about the Oreo milkshake while you're, you're a in guard. The you're scene. in a very dangerous situation. Why are you smiling? Oreos. <laughs> exactly. Must protect the Oreos, forsooth. For Don Yon wanders alone, Oreo, by the grace of God and the earth of heaven. That Oreo will be mine. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about Mildred is she's probably, you know, if you're playing Mildred, you have to try not to think about the Oreo milkshake. And They're, Mildred and even Clarice. A, a lot of times Clarice. She says wasted. something. They're very wasted Yeah, characters. she says something really dumb. And then, like, asks a question of Montag, and it's like, oh, I, now I can tell you all of these things. Like, oh. And the, the well, the one thing I have, I wonder with her character is, mm-hmm. was it her just being dumb, or was it her being, you could go, I, I think one way you could play that scene is her being kind of that playful, she knows right. she's dealing with someone who is, she's like kind of walking the edge. She, she's a reader, mm-hmm. comes from a family of readers, mm-hmm. has all this stuff, she has knowledge, and she's dealing with a big dummy. Yeah, kind She's, of like Zoe Deschanel in 500 Days yes, of Summer. <laughs> yes, I like that movie. You like that movie? I do because it's a hmm. – I, I think uh, that movie is a perfect example, not of a good relationship or of a great thing, but of the internal monologue. Oh, fair. In people's heads because Of the man completely missing everything yes, that's going on in the relationship. Yes. Yeah. And the, the over-obsessiveness, mm-hmm. that, joy, that joy dance number sequence – after mm-hmm. after they get together that one night, I'm like, yeah, no, this is this is not so much a good movie on the aspect of what's happening, but as a much more of a cerebral dream version of what the going on inside someone's mind. Fair, yeah, very accurate. The whole obsessiveness, that depression, all of the massive highs and lows of this very insecure person who needs lots of mental help. Yeah. Oh gosh, I know that movie. Plenty of people did not see that movie that way, though. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about... Because there is some really interesting... His his uh, set directions are long-winded. Yes. Um, but some of them are very interesting. I'm not entirely sure... Well, what the, which, which one are you thinking? Do you have a... I mean, I'm thinking that the tech in this show is very first of all it's very projection Sparse. heavy yes project <laughs> projection and sound effect yeah um, like there's there's not a whole lot there's a lot more of just goes to black mm-hmm. you hear someone speaking over the inner over the over lots the loudspeakers. of speaking over the loudspeakers yes. yeah so very very much a uh it'd be cheap to put on uh, yeah i suppose so I, I mean you could you could throw money at it 
Um, you could. I, I think there's light coming from the floor. There's a guy in an attic. There's you know like two although, set settings all at once. If you have a large enough stage and all in blackness, mm-hmm. a couple spotlights here oh, and yeah. there, you can yeah. do that all. It just it, it it's that thing where I, I think it could it can be done with a low budget. Mm-hmm. So you could definitely pull it off with like a no budget sort of show with a little mm-hmm. black box theater. No set and just a couple spotlights here and there right. to illuminate the actor, but yeah, there's not a not a whole lot going on, and also it's a little jarring mm. going from scene to scene. So you have one scene and then stage direction for how to change it, and it's just kind of like I had to go back a couple of times, like wait a minute, I what what just happened? I I commonly hear those types of things described as filmic. Yeah. Because that's what when you're watching but, a film you want that you don't want long scenes in one place. But yeah, uh, to to counter Fair. counterpoint that one that you do have the thing where uh the hard cuts mm-hmm. that kind of jar you a little bit in some movies. Yeah, oh or TV yeah. shows where it's like, "Wait, what what just happened? That's not the natural cut. We just mm-hmm. cut to something completely it, I'm jarred. I'm physically jarred by how this film has been cut. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that in a few of these scene transitions from okay. different bits. Like the the one I had to go back and reread twice because it was like, wait, I'm like, wait, what was the opening going from the very first scene and then him walking with Clarice? Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, what? What did I? What did I miss? Did I miss something here? Let me right. go back here because how we how did we get here? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and the the sets kind of change really yeah quickly i don't uh, yeah I, d- I don't know honestly i would be interested in seeing people interpret this uh, other people interpret this i it'd be a very backdrop heavy one because you have yeah. city street walking for mm-hmm. scenes with clarice then you have his apartment and then you have the fire station right and then i don't have... know if it needs to be a backdrop but there there are specific well, like points where they're like okay so there is definitely a projection going on right now yeah well back, backdrop or projection mm-hmm. one of the two because you've got i mean you've got Beatty's place with a massive library you've got the old woman's place oh, with yeah. a library mm-hmm. so you've got those different scenes that you want to see i mean you could mm-hmm. have you can go no scene yeah but then it's literally the actor going look at this and like <gasps> and now we're here yeah, yeah so now, now we're here look at this what, what is all this it's my library it does, and it changes a lot, and it changes mm-hmm. quickly. Um, I I wonder sometimes when I read these plays, like what what was the playwright thinking in this? Like, how did he see this on the stage? You know, I honestly think he saw this as a TV movie. Fair, as okay. opposed to an actual play. I think I think that was more his mindset. I mean, I think it, that I think that was his specialty. Yeah, at this point in his life. Which it, it does it definitely reads, especially with those cuts, much more much more likely to be a episode of Bradbury Presents mm-hmm. with those cuts from here to there. Yeah. I don't know. I like to kind of close out on this whole play, I just like I don't know the the whole story in general, like I don't know if I like it or need it. You know, but the play specifically, I'm I'm not entirely sure is necessary or vital to. I I I yeah I'm. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Mandy. <laughs> I know you love this play, and and to be fair, like you know, I the plays that I've done with people that I love because I've done them are not necessarily the best plays. 
Ever? <laughs> I think it's a story that given how I think it could be depending on how it was put on. Okay. If it's literally just going by the text without a, a whole lot of thought given to how are we going to tell this story? Mm-hmm. I think it's going to I think it would just be kind of like what? meh. What would you add to it or or what parts would you? Lots of honestly, it's one of those ones where I would throw in a lot more money to it. Okay. Just because there, it'd be a lot better to have actual sets and scene mm-hmm. changes and have some things to help better convey what's going on with the story as right. opposed to, we're just having these here. Like the, the end sequence when they're quoting books back and forth to each other. Mm-hmm. Trying to find a way of, instead of just having, oh, this person says that, that person says that, get much more. I honestly almost think that works. That scene... I, I would have to put in a lot of thought to how to stage that mm-hmm. because it reads better as what I would envision in a TV episode again. Right. As just like slowly focusing in and out of different people and coming up to different, like mm-hmm. not so much ending sentences, but their sentence fading out as another one right. fades in as we've seen go all these different people, like a little montage. Uh, and having the actors overlap yeah. and having things go faster than what they read. So, I mean, almost gotcha. in, a, in a scene like that, I'd almost have to start with the group and then as he's listening to them, dim the lights and then have your – you could probably mm-hmm. do that with dimming the lights yeah, and having spotlights over each individual group and fade out, fade back in and have them memorize more of the line of the book mm-hmm. so they can just quiet down as they go to the right. The you're, last bit. Right. fading in and out. I have a, yeah. And that but, would make it a little more dynamic. Yeah. I, I I would probably cut the poetry bit. <laughs> the poetry bit. The... Well, the uh, the or, or cut some of the you know, put it on there. Uh, and I go why well, I, I have to go back and forth on that because at certain points I'm just kind of like want to make sure that the writer's work is put out there as much as possible. So I'm right. not a huge fan of abridging things. But, well, sometimes you can't. I don't. Yeah. Know. Well, if you, yeah, especially with money wise, or you can't mm-hmm. afford to do a certain thing. But it's just kind of like, I just don't think it, especially that scene alone, just feels very, I don't, I don't know. Oh, the poetry like, scene where they're crying. Yeah. And, and before oh, that, leading up to it, where they're watching the TV, like, no, 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 we're doing this. We're doing the TV. And it's like, why, why are you trying to do this mm-hmm. to them? I would, I would either kind of cut that a bit or try and yeah, rework it. Yeah, I don't know it. if you could. It's, it's a, it's. Or cut bits of dialogue I, I mean, I think it. it goes back to where, when you're talking about, like how women are used in this yeah it it just it's really uncomfortable because we don't and that's our society recognizes women as people that'd be something else is where uh, especially going into it you'd have to find actors who are going to be able to portray it in the in the right way Mm -hmm. and then get them to play it in a way so it doesn't come across because i think there's i think especially with the way it's written if you got say people and they just went to it blind and didn't get direction or a proper message you're trying to convey with it, you have that real danger of falling into that, oh, I'm just being a ditz and I'm dumb and you're the mm-hmm. big strong man and you're here and you're going to set me right, but I'm too dumb to realize it. But if you play them more as people. Right, you have to add. Well, and that, yeah, I mean, more, as an actor, that's your your goal. Although you'd, you'd have to have with the director and all that trying mm-hmm. to get them to, here's here's what we're doing. This is what this is what your motivation there. Right. What's my motivation? Uh, trying to convey that because I think there's I think you could do it, but mm-hmm. it, it definitely comes down to having a directors and producers who are showing the actors the direction they want to go in as opposed to just going, say these lines. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and as an actor, you should be able to flesh out any character. Oh, yeah. Um, but they are just such vapid characters. It's yes. It's kind of hard to... 
there's well, yeah, there's very little to work with mm-hmm. to do anything. Mm-hmm. That's I, especially with that one scene. It's just kind of like he literally just shows up and tries to read them poetry. He assaults them with poetry. Yes, <laughs> and then tells them to sit. He's which my com- boyfriend accuses me sometimes of doing. Like, <laughs> I love poetry, and he's like, I don't really like poetry. But but you have to listen to this one. <laughs> the play less traveled. Um, okay, well let let's talk about your choice the okay. thing that i have to read now <laughs> hat full of rain yeah one hat of my of one rain. of my favorite favorite productions okay i never got to be in it but i did did watch it and i love the script mm-hmm. it's uh it's it's one of those ones where i don't i'm not gonna play the uh play the card of it's so relevant mm-hmm. or anything like that like i think a lot of people do on things I, I think it's a very. Is it because I shamed that like? Oh, oh no 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 no. Because I, I it's, definitely. It's for for me. It's not so much about the context of what's in the story, mm-hmm. but the emotional journey of the characters. Okay. Like one my my favorite scene in the entire entire show, is, uh, the character uh, comes back. He's a Vietnam veteran, but now he's fallen mm-hmm. in hard times, drugs. All that sort of stuff. He's living heroin, with his brother. Right? Yes, heroin. Yes, heroin. Specifically heroin. So he's, it's he's, so relevant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's an addict. He's trying to get clean. And mm-hmm. he comes back and he's staying with his brother. And he gets up one night. And he comes out in the hall and sees his father. Mm-hmm. And he's like, D- you know, Pop, why, why are you up? And his father just kind of starts going like a... Uh, Good clean rain washes away. So they start kind of talking back and forth. And you, you find that distance because there's... A distance between the two of them. The father was not the best father. Mm. A little, a little overbearing, mean, and the kid got shipped around as a young, young child, like left mm-hmm. and right. So he's always in foster homes and whatnot. So they are not close. Mm-hmm. They have very much an antagonistic, okay, thing. So you kind of get like there was uh, problems in the marriage. The father might have been kind of abusive, a bit gruff, and it really affected, uh, really affected our main character. And he goes off to war, comes back. Well, he's in Vietnam. I mean, he's a Vietnam vet, so that's where, you know, the whole drugs and everything like that kind of comes offshoot of that. Uh, Comes back as a drug addict, and this scene just kind of builds as they start arguing and... Mm -hmm. Let me look up one of the things here. Okay. I should have brought that script with me. It's fine. I, I mean, I have the internet here, too. Ah, yes. Here we go. Johnny, Johnny Pope, our main character. Mm-hmm. But him and his father are arguing, and it just kind of keeps building. And just this emotional thing until he basically snaps because he has PTSD. Mm-hmm. And he starts going in the center. And just it that, that scene ends. And for, for me, it's so powerful because he's now... And he, he, you know, he, he comes back, and uh, you know, they they work through things, and it's. I don't want to give too much away. For spoilers, right, please. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, but, we're uh, gonna have a whole hour long. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's it's one of those that that scene just kind of builds, and you see the problems he has. It's not just the drugs; it's this emotional uh, roller coaster. And it's just the the thing I find that really hammers home for me is just that power. Mm-hmm. In the emotional context of the story, and the characters playing off of each other, and it, it's just really moving. 
Okay. So I, 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 and for me, it's it's that it's that sort of thing where it's like, it doesn't need to tell you, oh, this is how the world is, or this mm-hmm. is this is about the world. You're gonna learn something. It's more just that emotional drama of seeing these people who are real people dealing with problems mm-hmm. and coming, you know, and just things coming to the surface and really hashing out. Where it's like it's that, especially that scene in question. It's it's that kind of scene where by the end of it, if done when done well Mm -hmm. you have people in tears right because it's just it's heartbreaking so it's about the characters and the relationships yes very very much a character drama Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah it's just so so wonderful interesting i'm interested i'll look forward to that uh other than that i don't know do you have anything you want to plug uh not currently no get on that come see dinner detective i mean I'm, i'm i'm currently writing a mystery. Oh, good. Uh, good. Not going to give away too much about it, but it is going to be a uh, some audience interaction aspects to it. Okay. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see. If All right. I... I'm going to let you go. All right. <laughs>